Welcome to the Ministry of Lighthouse Christian Outreach Center. Our vision is bringing people into the full realization of their potential in God and our mission. Building a community of believers whose lifestyle positively influenced change in the society. Welcome to Lighthouse. Lighthouse, House 7, Plot 2 Stroke 3, Kudratabiola Way, Oregon, Ikeja, Lagos. For inquiries, please log on to www.lighthouseng.org. Welcome, can we please receive the ministry of Dr. Hugh Oscar? You're welcome, sir. Please come. Nice to have you with us this evening. Wow. I'm sitting here thinking, who is this old guy that God sent among you tonight? I, I find it really hard to believe that, but never mind. It is true. But let's take our seats. Really impressed with two things in our prayer time. One, that God hasn't brought us together to waste our time. And I feel that really, really definitely. And the other thing is that, you know, you touched on the threshing floor. And uh, that's really interesting. And I'm going to be picking up on some of that. Our theme tonight is special, beautiful exchange. And I'm still trying to work out exactly what that means. Whether you've swapped me for someone else, I'm not quite sure. And whether you're disappointed with what you got instead. But, uh, you know, I was thinking about this, that you go back many years and the traffic of preachers was very much from England to Africa. These days, it's very much the other way around. So, you know, maybe I'm here just to try and redress the balance a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's just a joy, isn't it, that in this day and age, we've got so much global interconnectivity. And uh, I, I, I regard Nigeria as one of those places that feels like home to me. And uh, that's partly because I, I know an awful lot of the Nigerian church leaders in London, as well as quite a lot of them over here. And it's just great to be back here in Lighthouse. And I spoke to Pastor just before the meeting. We were talking on the video phone, and uh, he's evidently watching me. So I've told him I'm going to try and get a good score tonight. But uh, I think he's going to tell me afterwards how well I did. But anyway, I'm just really concerned about not wasting our time, and I want to move into this topic. Actually, this question of exchange is a big topic in the Bible. And I'm going to read a very familiar passage, and we're going to just look at it together for a little while. It's actually the passage with which Jesus began his teaching ministry. We've got it in Isaiah 61. But I'm not just going to read the bit that Jesus read in the synagogue in Nazareth. I'm going to read on a little bit, because that's where we really do find the exchange. So... Here we are, Isaiah 61, and I'm going to be reading from verse 1. I'm actually using the New International, but we've used various versions so far, so I realize that we're all quite flexible here, but this comes over quite well. It says this in verse 1 of Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And at that point, Jesus sat down. 
and said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He actually stopped in the middle of a verse. And there's a reason for that. Because we know that Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And the very next statement says this, that he hadn't only come to proclaim the Lord's favor, but also the day of vengeance of our God. And that's such a big concept that we're going to unpack that a little bit tonight. Because what then follows seems to be dependent upon that statement. Because otherwise Jesus would have read on, wouldn't he? He wanted to emphasize today this scripture, that which I've read to you, is fulfilled in your hearing. And the implication is, there's more to come. Let me just read on, and then I'm going to make a few comments. And to provide, well, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord you will be named ministers of our God. Isn't that incredible? You know, when we're talking about an exchange, there's so much there. Instead of mourning, there's going to be comfort. Instead of grief and despair, there's going to be beauty. There's going to be joy. There's going to be praise. There's going to be righteousness. And those that have been mourners are actually going to be rebuilding the ruins and restoring the places long devastated. It even talks about strangers coming into the midst. And those strangers will be shepherding the flocks and working in the fields. And it talks about being called the priests of the Lord, named ministers of our God. So much that God wants to give us. And yet it seems to hinge on that statement of the day of vengeance of our God. Now I don't think that that can entirely apply to a day that's yet to come. Because I think that these things that follow on from that verse, we can take up and know now. But when you go through this, you realize that in some ways, what you have in the first part, where Jesus actually proclaimed it in Nazareth, was him meeting the needs that were already evident. Going to see the blind and giving them sight. Going to the poor and giving them hope. Going to the captives and setting them free. Going to the prisoners, releasing them from darkness. And proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, which is basically the year of Jubilee. And you know, from the day that Jesus proclaimed it, it's never ended. We are living in the jubilee that Jesus brought. It's not just once every 50 years now. When he proclaimed the year of jubilee, this is it. This is what everyone's been waiting for. You know, 49 years and then a jubilee. 49 years and then a jubilee. But there was a passion in their hearts. Why can't we live like this? Why can't we live with a restoration of righteousness? Why can't we live with that sense of liberty that comes in that 50th year? 
And Jesus proclaims, this is the year. You know, sometimes you sing that song, this is the day the Lord has made. And very often what we do is we refer it to today. So today, the 29th of March, 2023, it's the day the Lord has made. Of course it is. He makes it every day. But that's not what the scripture means. It actually says that the stone that the builders rejected will become the chief cornerstone. This is the day that the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. When Jesus was rejected by the builders in his day, you know, the wise people, the government and everything else. We do not need this man. We don't need him to be our foundation. We don't need him, need him to be in the mix. Away with this man. They were rejecting the one who was to be the chief cornerstone. And what God did was to take that which had been rejected and to exalt it to the highest place. And when Jesus was brought from the lowest place to the highest place, it changed the pattern so that we now live in the day when God takes that which has been rejected and elevates it. That should give us hope. That's more exciting than think God made the 29th of March, which He did. He actually opened up a time when those that are not could become something in Christ. And why? We're going to look at it because he proclaimed the day of vengeance of our God. And how did he do that? You see, when I look at this, it's like verse 1 sums up the ministry of Jesus. He gave sight to the blind. He released the captives. He healed the sick. He did so many, many things. But he didn't just come for those who acknowledge their need came for people who were yet to acknowledge their need and somehow that moment when we're looking at the day of vengeance of our God it changes everything let me try and help us with this because this is a big concept but we are talking about an amazing exchange a beautiful exchange an incredible exchange where we lose the ashes and get the the blessings of the Lord where we see restoration, where those of us who've been mourners are allowed to rebuild society. This is big. This is, this is moving into something. What was it that moved us into this? Well, let me tell you. We could start actually with something that Zechariah said in his prophecy. One day they will look on him who they pierced. And that would change everything. Another witness in the temple when Jesus was presented as a baby, Simeon, what did he say? He said to Mary, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many. That's a strange statement, isn't it? It's like, hold on a minute. <laughs> Has he come to bring us down? Is that what it's about? 
You know, he's come to, to be the one rejected. But in his rejection, he's actually identifying with us so that he can take us from the lowest place to the highest place. Let me give you another scripture. You all know it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Do you know what? If you're going to be saved, you've got to put yourself in the arena of God's operation. That's where so many people went wrong. He came to his own and his own received him not. Why? Because he'd come to save sinners. And they were happy for him to reach to the prostitutes. They were happy for him to reach to the tax collectors. They were happy for him to reach to everyone they considered to be a sinner. But they didn't think he'd got anything to offer them because they weren't putting themselves in the arena of his operations. Can you see what God is seeking to do? He wants this world to come to him. He wants this world to know that exchange that's the greatest exchange of all, where he becomes sin for us. He who knew no sin becomes sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That is the great exchange. This is what opens the door to everything else. The riches, the beauty, the glory, the transformation, the privilege of being able to build the walls and bring restoration. It all comes from this. This willingness to be put into that place. Lord, I'm a candidate for restoration. I'm a candidate for restoration. And I'm not just a candidate for restoration. I want to be a candidate for being a restorer. I also want to be the one who actually continues to proclaim the greatness of the restorer. So that the process which I experience can be experienced again and again and again and again and again. But it's going to be costly. You see, it's like a condition, isn't it? He comforts all who mourn. If you're one of these people who say, ah, you know, I'm just going to shake off all the negativity and pain and everything else that I've gone through in a bereavement. You're making yourself comfort proof. You're proofing yourself against the comfort that God wants to bring. You see, it's simple, isn't it? If he comforts those who mourn, guess what? Hey God, I'm a mourner (laughs) and I need you to comfort me. You give beauty for ashes. Lord, there are times when I feel like an ash heap. (laughs) Give me your beauty. Do you see what it's about? It's an exchange. Of course, the blind received their sight. The lame walked. All of those things that Jesus proclaimed in Nazareth, in the synagogue, definitely happened. Every single one of them. You can go through the list and tick it off. But if that was all that had happened, it would hardly have measured up 
to the great song of the angels, you know, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. That was a great proclamation. And yet all, I mean, you know, praise God for the blind people who received their sight. Praise God for the lame people who walked. Praise God for the deaf people who heard. But Jesus came to do more than that. So much more than that. He came to meet needs that when he started his ministry, people weren't even aware of. He came to proclaim good news to the poor. That was fantastic. Because a lot of people at that time were prepared to say, I'm poor. I want the good news. But I tell you what, if you look at the multitudes that followed Jesus, there weren't many wealthy people there. Just a few. And that's not because there weren't many wealthy people in the land. It's because they weren't prepared to put themselves in the arena of God's operation. Good news is for the poor. Doesn't seem to be quite what I need. <laughs> you know, these days I've got the bank balance. <laughs> yeah, I've got the house. I've got this, I've got that. And somehow, despite the desire in God's heart to give us so much, we're not putting ourselves in the position where we can receive. And do you know what God has done about that? He allowed his son to go to the cross. Which should be the biggest wake-up call for the whole of humanity. And it's still the same call. There is no other way, you know. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except by me. And no one comes except by way of the cross. When all those years ago, Zechariah said that, you know, they'll look on me whom they pierced and they will mourn. It was like saying, one day, one day the penny will drop. Even those that rejected him and said, we have no place for him. One day, one day, one day, they're going to see. And when they see, wow, what's going to happen? In that brokenness, they're ready for the great exchange, aren't they? Mourners receiving comfort. <laughs> Those who grieve in Zion. Wow. I, I really believe for this stuff, you know. Some of it we've seen, some of it I believe we're going to see. I think we're yet to see a major, 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 major breakthrough when people just realize the significance of what God has done. It seems to me that over the last 2,000 years, the world has become more and more self-sufficient. Even the church has become self-sufficient. You know, It's like, tonight we might invite the Holy Spirit to come. We can't even meet without the Holy Spirit. <laughs> We need to be these dependent people. Oh, it so touches my heart. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That they will be called 
oaks of righteousness. Goodness me, he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That's a huge exchange, isn't it? It's a job to get our heads around it in some ways. But I want to serve Jesus. I want to serve him. I, I look at this broken society and I want to do something about it. I want to see it change. I want to rebuild the things that are broken down. I want to renew the ruins. I want to do all of these things. And yet, you know, I know that in the end, it's not going to be in my strength. Somehow it's going to be in that brokenness which says, God, when I look at what you've done for me, I just feel that all I can do is to say, Lord, it's over to you. There are so many verses I could take you to. Some I've already referred to. I'm really touched by what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians, we read these words, which are just extraordinary. He says this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you're in Christ Jesus who's become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. It is incredible, isn't it? That God has this methodology of bringing those that think they're something to nothing. I'm back with that same statement. Simeon, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many. When Jesus started preaching, he went out and he said, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Turn around and believe. He said to Peter, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. I don't know what you think the keys of the kingdom are. Maybe you've got this picture in your mind that Peter stands at the gate and determines who goes into heaven and who doesn't. I tell you, that determination has been made before you get to heaven. The keys of the kingdom that Peter had were that on the day of Pentecost, he was the one who was privileged to stand up and preach the gospel and say to them, if you repent and are baptized for the remission of sins, you will receive what we've received. And that day, 3,000 people found the door to the kingdom had been unlocked and they were able to enter in. And then in Cornelius' household, the Gentiles, Peter again, he's preaching, 
Seems just like he's giving his introduction. But whilst he's doing that, God moves. It's like Peter just stood up and without realizing he was actually turning the keys in the lock to let the Gentiles in. And you say, did they repent? Well, we know they did because Peter actually then goes back to the church in Jerusalem and says, God granted them repentance unto life. It wasn't necessary to cry all over the floor and dissolve into tears. Repentance is something that happens in your heart. When Peter preached Jesus in Cornelius' household, those people that were listening, every one of them, because it was his whole household that had gathered, all from 12 years old up, something broke on the inside of them. And they, in their hearts, we must have this Jesus. It was a repentant moment. It was a turning around. And you know, it was the repentance that leads you to life. I've had to counsel many people over the years who've, who've got caught in the trap of remorse. Now, remorse is where you feel guilt that you never seem to get relief from. Where you're constantly saying, oh, I'm so sorry I did that. I'm so sorry I did that. I'm so sorry I did that. And you never seem to come out the other side of the trap. And the usual problem is that what people are saying is, not I'm sorry I did that, but I'm sorry about the consequences of that. If you've never noticed this, husbands, you may have had times when your wife has pointed out the error of your ways and you've said, I'm so sorry that I hurt you, darling. That is not the same as I'm sorry that I caused the pain. It's almost like saying, I wish the consequences had never happened. There's something that goes deeper than that. You know, we're told that in the Bible that Esau sought a place of repentance and he never found it though he sought it with tears and do you know why he wasn't actually sorry for what he'd done he was sorry about the consequences he was sorry that he'd lost the birthright he was sorry that he missed out on the blessing he still thought it was all his brother's fault he was the one who tricked me out of it no, no, you were the one who was so greedy that you'd have given away your birthright for anything. But actually to get to that point where you confess it, I tell you, when you do get to that point and you realize that you're prepared to say, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I tell you, you know, the locks are beginning to open. <laughs> the key turns. And in Cornelius' household, as Peter was preaching, he was just talking Jesus and somehow something turned in their hearts and they said, no more me, Lord, no more me. It's not going to be I, 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 I anymore. It's going to be you, 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 you. And they didn't have to say it because that wasn't the only thing that happened. As he carried on talking, we're told, because again, Peter reported back and said, this is what happened. Not only did they have repentance granted to them so that they could enter into life. 
but we're told that they had their hearts purified by faith. Can you see what happened? It was like both keys turned in the lock. The repentance was there. The faith was there. And even though they didn't have to make a sound, the Holy Spirit saw what had happened in each one of their hearts. Seen the repentance. Saw the faith. Saw the mourning. Saw the brokenness. Saw the change on the inside of them. And wow, the Holy Spirit came. And what did they get? They got beauty for ashes. <laughs> they got the oil of joy for mourning. You say, well, they weren't mourning for long. You don't have to mourn for long. <laughs> they weren't ashes for long. But there was a moment. There was a moment when they realized that this was an all or nothing moment. It was the moment of real exchange. I find this absolutely amazing. I know Jesus healed the blind. I know he made the deaf to hear. I may know he made the lame to walk. He even raised the dead. But what I think is amazing is that when Jesus died on that cross, he was doing something that would bring the most arrogant and self-sufficient of us to nothing so that he might raise us up to be something. How correct Simeon was. This child is set for the fall and the rising again of many. You know what? Some of us want resurrection life without having to realize that in order to get it, you have to be crucified with Christ. <laughs> You know, what do you want? <laughs> You're asking for a supercharge on what you've already got, whereas what God's offering you is an exchange. This is why the exchange is so beautiful. God's not offering us a boost. He's offering us a fresh start. Isn't that incredible? I just, I just look at this and I think, God is so good. <clears throat> Some of you might have a testament a bit like mine. <laughs> When I went to university, I thought I was so clever. I really did. You know, I'd come from a Christian family. I thought I knew all the Christian stuff as well. And, you know, and I you know, thought at university you needed to be really clever. So I read through the theological section of the local library before I went. I wasn't even going to study theology. I was going to do medicine and dentistry. But <clears throat> there was I. I was trying to sort of show off to everyone. Then I get to college. And the Christians start saying to me, come to our meeting. So I come to their meeting and I sit in their meeting. And I'm judging their praying. They say, oh God, Lord Jesus, we do so thank you, Holy Spirit. I thought, come on, guys, you don't even know who you're praying to. Yeah, I was just so critical, you know. And, and I, I'd look at them and i think, oh God, look, please, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely wanting to have something more in my life. But please, Lord, I don't want to be like the Christians. That's how arrogant I was. And you know what? You cannot receive when you've got that kind of pride problem in your life. Because God's not in the business of giving you a boost. He wants to give you an exchange. And until you're prepared to let go, your hands aren't open enough to receive what he wants to give you. Do you know, I, I remember the moment when eventually... <laughs> I gave in to the Lord. And it was a most extraordinary moment. 
Some of you might know that in John's first letter, it says, by this we know we pass from death to life in that we love the brothers. The biggest shock of my life when I gave my life to Jesus was my attitude to all the people that I'd been critical about changed instantly. I went back to the university for my second term and all the Christians just said to me, what's happened to you? <laughs> what's happened to you? And, and it was just that exchange, wasn't it? It was when you're no longer looking for the boost and just say, look, I'm prepared to be in that broken position. I really do want to say, Lord, it's got to be no longer I that lives. It's got to be you. It's got to be you. It's got to be you living in me. I want the beauty. I want the oil of joy. I want to be a restorer. I want to be someone out there making a difference. But I know this is where it begins. There were people who seemed to me to be nothing. Who somehow brought me to nothing. Isn't that incredible? I, 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 still, I still laugh at it. I just think the way that God does this is really odd. You see, he didn't set an entrance to the kingdom of God that was up here. Because if he had... Only people with long legs could get into the kingdom, you know? <laughs> he actually said it really low so that anyone can come in. But you know, part of the problem when he sets it that low is there's no sense of accomplishment when you've made it. <laughs> you can't say, oh, look at me, look what I've done. <laughs> yeah, I've just become a Christian. It just doesn't work like that, does it? I mean, some people wish it would, you know. What can I do to get right with God? Can I climb a mountain? You know, can I swim the channel? Can I, you know, can I do this? Can I build a skyscraper? Can I, can I give all my money to the poor? Yeah, you can if you want. But it won't actually get you into the kingdom. It just might make you feel a little bit better for a while. <laughs> Because it's not about you feeling good and doing something great. It's about being humble enough. Oh, wow. Can you imagine what it was like in Cornelius' household? Some of it was to do with the anticipation. They didn't know what this Peter was going to come and say. But boy, were they looking forward to him coming. <laughs> there was such an expectation. A vision had come to Cornelius saying, you need to send for this man. Now Cornelius had been trying, you know, he was a Gentile, but he'd given his money to build synagogues and everything else. And God saw that this man's heart was hungry, but he knew he was heading in the wrong direction. So send for Peter. And Peter comes. What's Peter? He's not a, a centurion in the army. He's not an academic. He's probably not even the most sort of fit of the apostles, although I guess that having been a fisherman, he'd probably got a good physique. But come on, that wasn't going to impress Cornelius. He wasn't there to flex his muscles and to say, look at me, a fisherman. He was there to speak in his northern accent, which they would have despised. <laughs> 
no idea what it meant when they said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. God, that would have been an offense. Particularly if you were someone hanging around the temple. They look down on the people in Nazareth, you know. They're the people that gone and lived the other side of the Samaritans. Just because the fishing's better up there and the land's better up there. But they're a godless bunch. They don't even turn up for the three year, yearly um, festivals. That's the way they saw it. And the attitude was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? They even said that down the road in Capernaum. And Jesus is proclaimed as Jesus of Nazareth. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Get over that boy. <laughs> this is the Savior. The one who came to the place that's written off. Of course he's the Son of God. But you've got to be humble enough to accept that 2,000 years ago, he came as a baby in a manger and grew up in a place that was despised. And when he began to gather people to him, yeah, there were 3,000 poor people who gather on the hillside, but there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds who, when he came to his own, received him not but to as many as received him. To as many as received him. I, I'm, I'm just sticking with the exchange here. I'm sticking with the exchange. There's not a person in this room who doesn't want beauty for ashes, who doesn't want the oil of joy for mourning. There's probably not a person in this room who wouldn't want to be the restorer and the rebuilder and the renewer. But there is a price, folks. It's just the entry requirement, really. It's not going to cost you much. In fact, financially, it's probably not going to cost you anything at all. But in terms of pride, prestige, all of these kind of things, it costs you everything. But it's not a bad deal, folks. Jesus gave his everything, his everything for you. And, and, and just please, just understand this. What it says is that he who knew no sin became sin for us. He didn't just lay down his life. He died as a condemned person. This is, this is why I said that the pivotal point in Isaiah 61 is to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. Now I know we can say that that's a day that lies in the future. But when I look at what happened to Jesus on the cross, when I see what he suffered, when I realize that darkness covered the face of the earth, we're just nearly a week away from Good Friday, when the churches in the world are going to think about this. And of course we're Pentecostals, we're actually living way beyond Good Friday, we're living in Pentecost. But you can't get to Pentecost without going by Good Friday, folks. It would never have happened. And sometimes we just need to reflect that you don't just take up your cross and then say goodbye to it. You take up your cross daily and carry it. And what does that mean? 
There's a verse that I love, you know, in Jude. It says, keep yourself in the love of God. I love that thought. I just, I just want to remind myself all the time, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. But I also have to keep myself holding to that cross. It's not I. It's not I. It's not I. But it's Christ. It's not I. When people insult you and you want to rise up and go, how dare they say that to me? It's the case of, well, yeah, I know. <laughs> Who am I to rise up? You know? We justify ourselves so quickly, don't we? I'm just talking about the great exchange. I mean, it's just a big exchange. It's a beautiful exchange. I mean, what better could there be than this? To lay down your life to have his life. To be prepared to live like that. To take the opportunities that come. Because every time when we've talked about, you know, coming here tonight, and we don't want to waste our time. We want to grow. God wants us to grow. But he also said, doesn't he, that he wants us to get the grain from the threshing floor. <laughs> Very often we want to avoid the threshing floor, don't we? Isn't there a barn somewhere where we can get it all from? No. No, actually, you're the grain, <laughs> and you go through the threshing floor. You're the wine, <laughs> you go through the wine press. But oh, what a privilege it is. What a privilege it is. In some ways, those things look at Passover, don't they? You know, they, the, the, the cross. And then we come through Pentecost when, when God pours out His Spirit. Gosh. That is the exchange, isn't it? You know, you lay your life down at the cross, you get the life of Christ through Pentecost. But you know, there's a third feast coming. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. Israel was an agricultural community. They had three harvest festivals a year. Can you imagine it? The first one they called Passover. And that was when the barley harvest came in. Barley harvest was known as the, the, the bread for the poor. <laughs> Those who would have already run out of storage, they're just grateful that the grain's in at last. We'll have barley, all right? And we make barley loaves. And it's the bread of the poor. Barley loaves are important in the Bible. It was barley loaves that the little boy had that Jesus broke. It was the bread of the poor. Gideon, not this one. Gideon went down into the enemy camp after God had reduced his army to 300 and God said to him go down into the enemy camp at night and you will hear something so he goes down with his servant now I don't know how many of you have ever spent some time in a tent I know you do on a Sunday in the big one over there but you know, if you're camping and you say something in a tent it's not soundproof. It's worth remembering that if you're ever camping, all right? Your tent is not soundproof. And there's Gideon outside someone's tent. And the two people in the tent, one is saying to the other, I've just had this dream. It's a silly dream. <laughs> so I saw a barley loaf, bread of the poor, come rolling down the hill and it knocked the tent over. 
Now, I don't know what you're like at interpreting dreams, but I'm so glad that the person that was with him in the tent got it straight away. Do you know what he said? This is none other than Gideon. <laughs> it was like for all of Gideon's efforts, God was saying to him, just remember, boy, you're no more than a barley loaf coming rolling down the hill and knocking your tent over. There was no ground for arrogance here. So we see at Passover, they had the, the barley harvest and they were told to eat unleavened bread. Fifty days later, they had the Pentecost feast. Pentecost just means 50 days. So 50 days later, they have the Pentecost feast. It's now the wheat harvest. The quality grain is in. And guess what, folks? The instructions have changed. You are now to eat leavened bread. Hold on a minute. I thought unleavened bread was a picture of sin going out. Does sin go out at Passover, come back at Pentecost? No, it's a different picture. What was a picture of the sin going out? Now is a picture of the Holy Spirit coming in. The leaven comes in in order to change the whole situation. Now this is our personal story too. You should have had your Passover moment with Jesus. When you said, this is it for me. I'm going to be crucified with Christ. I'm going to put myself in the sinner category. I'm going to put myself in the place where I'm a mourner. I'm going to put myself in the place where I'm desperate. I'm going to put myself in the place where I'm ashes. And I want the exchange. I want the beauty. I want the oil. I want the joy. And then Passover comes to an end. And 50 days later, Pentecost comes in. And the Holy Spirit comes in. And you get the oil of joy. You get the beauty. You get everything. It comes in. Now, we don't have to have a 50-day gap. It can happen in an instant, as it did in Cornelius' household. They went from Passover to Pentecost in seconds. The Spirit of God came down on them. But now, we're awaiting a day when it'll be the tabernacles feast. I love tabernacles, it's a great picture. You know, in those days, it was a time to remind themselves of what it had been like in the wilderness. And they had to make shelters. And what I love about the shelters, they were told, you know, you can go out and you're to gather wood to make shelters. Get branches from trees, but don't get branches all from the same tree. You're going to spend a week under branches from different trees. It's a bit like the Lord saying to us, there are times in your life when you need to sit under different anointings. Because the Lord has got so much more for us. You know, don't, don't be someone who says, I'm a palm tree person or something like that, you know? So I'm only going to experience that. You'll end up being a little bit like the Corinthians where some are saying, I'm of Paul. And others will say, I'm of Apollos. And then the really spiritual ones to say, I'm of Christ. And Paul had to point out to them, that's not the way it is. All of these are gifts for us to sit under and to know that anointing. But then what are we looking for at that tabernacle's feast? It says, 
that this is the moment where you gather the harvest from the threshing floor and from the wine press. This is the moment when everything's been processed. And we're all heading there, folks. We're all heading there. The whole world's heading there. Some of us will get there, you know. We'll we're, we're face the Lord one day. And at that point, he'll see what's come from the threshing floor and what's come from the wine press in our lives. Don't try and protect your grapes. You know, I want to be the most spectacular bunch of grapes the church has ever seen. It won't work for you. You'll get squashed. You'll get crushed. Someone will put their dirty foot on you and tread on you. And you'll think, why did that happen? It's because he's gathering from the press threshing floor. And like you were so on target tonight in that prayer time. I was standing over there thinking, my goodness, did you read my notes? <laughs> but that's the way that God works, isn't it? I think I've said enough, basically. I mean, we just need to sign up for this, don't we? And say, this is it, folks. This is what life's about. It's about this beautiful exchange where Jesus takes our sin that we might know his righteousness. That we have that Passover moment when we recognize that on the cross, he was paying the price for us. And we do what it says in Zechariah. We look on him who was pierced and we mourn. And we do what Simeon said, which is accept the fact that he was set for the fall and the rising again. And we say, no longer I. No longer I. And then we open our hearts and reach out and take all the blessing that God pours. But you won't get the blessing <laughs> without being in the arena to receive it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Acknowledge you're a sinner. Paul was happy to do that. said, so, you know, Christ Jesus came to save sinners, of which I'm chief. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I just want all that he's got for me. And I know it's going to take all that I give him. That is the exchange. I joked at the beginning about, you know, is this exchange tonight about me in exchange for someone else? <laughs> but I tell you, when you look at this exchange, when you get all that's listed in Isaiah 61, and you get the life of Jesus instead of, this is an exchange, folks. This is an exchange that God's had on his heart ever since the fall put it right and why am I saying this to you tonight well because we prayed at the beginning that we're not here to waste our time and this message could be perhaps the most important message you hear in your life because in some ways every other message sort of relates back to this doesn't it really you want prosperity this is the only way to get it folks you want the joy of the Lord this is the only way to get it, folks. You want to be a person who stands out in spectacular beauty so that everyone thinks, wow, look at that person. You won't get that from the makeup shop. You get that from a transaction on your heart. Wow. Let's just bow our heads where we are, shall we? This is a moment for you just to say what you want to to the Lord, but 
what I'd like you to say to him is, Lord, here am I. You can have all of me <laughs> for all of you. Maybe some things have fallen into place tonight. Giving you a sort of overview of God's plan of redemption in some ways. I'm just showing you how that in that humility it just opens up so, so, so much of what God wants to bring. Father, I just thank you for those of us you brought here tonight, Lord. We didn't know why when we were leaving our homes that we were coming tonight. Some of us just hoped that this crazy white guy was going to say something useful. But we didn't know what you were going to do. But Lord, what you want to do tonight is to touch our hearts afresh. And to put something into our lives in the way that we understand the gospel. That keeps us living this exchanged life to the praise of your glory just just put it into your own words just put it into your own words whatever you want to say to him just just tell him oh lord lord jesus to you by Lighthouse Christian Outreach Center. The Lighthouse, House 7, Plot 2, Slash 3, Kudratabiola Way, Oregon, Ikeja, Lagos. For inquiries, please log on to www.lighthousenggy.org for more.